From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, December 6th. Protests took place in Denver recently against the Jewish National Fund USA's Global Conference for Israel. Conference organizers said the focus was on Jewish resilience, solidarity, and the effects that October 7th had on anti-Semitism. Protesters, including members of the group Jews Against Genocide and Jewish Voice for Peace, accuse JNF of supporting Israel's occupation of Palestinian land. Abdullah Alaga with the Colorado-Palestine Coalition said that there has been a rise in anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim hate since October 7th. It's scary to see that rise in anti-Semitism here in America. And I actually, I think it's scary that a lot of the people especially in our government, who are on the right side of the aisle, who are extremely anti-Semitic in their rhetoric in the best of times, are now all of a sudden wholly supportive of Israel. All of a sudden, those people are on Israel's side. This was never about anti-Semitism. There's also been an incredible rise in anti-Arab hate over the past few months. You know, uh, just in Vermont last week, three Palestinian youth were shot because they were wearing kufiyas. In the suburbs of Chicago, about a month ago, a six-year-old boy was stabbed to death by his landlord because he was Palestinian. Elaga was born in Gaza and was brought to the U.S. as a child. He says he has lost 26 relatives in the Israeli airstrikes on Gaza. He says U.S. President Joe Biden must also be held responsible. He is just as complicit in this genocide as Netanyahu is as far as I'm concerned. The bombs that are dropping on Gaza right now are manufactured and paid for by the United States. So absolutely, Joe Biden and his entire administration is just as complicit. They have just as much blood on their hands. Colorado Governor Jared Polis spoke at the conference's opening reception, which was titled, We Stand with Israel. A spokesperson for the governor said in a statement, quote, He has made it clear that hate against Jews, Muslims, or Christians will not be tolerated. And that includes ensuring that any effort to intimidate or prevent people from speaking to a group of Jewish Americans convening in Denver does not succeed. Fifteen protesters were arrested on Sunday for obstructing a road in downtown Denver, including members of Denver Boulder Jewish Voice for Peace. Within the Tonto National Forest in Arizona, there's an area considered sacred by many indigenous communities, Oak Flat. It's also been the site of legal battles and court cases. But this fall, it turned into a spiritual hub, And Gabriel Piotrazio, with our partners at KJZZ, was there to witness it. The Apaches sang, blessed themselves, and burned tobacco before letting their settler siblings, as they say, walk around their campfire in a circle twice welcoming them from all walks of faith, Mennonites, Baptists, Evangelical Christians, Jews, and other denominations. Those songs tell about how the soul travels to God's house and how to pray through instruments. The drums represent the universe. When you hear them pounding, it's the thunder. The sticks are the lightning. When it hits, it creates the sound. Boom, boom, boom. 
Apache Stronghold founder Wensler Nosy Sr. invited this flock of non-native faithfuls to fix the broken basse, or hoop, caused by the sins of colonialism. And that gap is all the people who have come here. So today represents a birth, a healing, a new beginning. And we want to thank you for coming in the way you did. Bound together by a common belief in the Creator, a national interfaith coalition united on Saturday, a day filled with lots of singing and praying underneath the shade of trees bearing acorns. Oak Flat is a holy site where the Apache believe the Gan, or mountain spirits, reside. It's also where they've performed sweat rituals and coming-of-age ceremonies for generations. There are deities, angels, that live here. You're sitting very close to it. Their way of life is now in danger from copper mining. The world's two largest foreign-owned mining companies, Rio Tinto and BPH, are trying to extract minerals through the Resolution Copper Project. It's supposed to create about 3,700 jobs eventually and boost Arizona's local economy by $61 billion over six decades. But, Nosy says extracting the copper deposits buried more than a mile beneath sacred lands can sever that relationship with the mountain spirits. He added it's essential for indigenous religious practices to be seen as equally authentic to other faiths. Navajo, Thana Otham, and tribal allies spoke to faith leaders who traveled to the Southwest to gain a deeper understanding, while dozens of congregations nationwide coalesced in spirit from afar. Seeing you all out here gives me hope for my little one right here with her sister, because that's who we're fighting for. Morgan Frejo, who has Navajo ancestry, was one of them. She doesn't have a voice just yet to tell this these company over here not to destroy her water, destroy her air, destroy her life, her sister's lives. He told their guests to open their hearts, minds, and also to stop and... Listen, but not only just to us. Listen to the wind. Take that moment. You hear that wind come through. Pause. Reflect. Recently, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard the Apache Stronghold's case after a prior court ruling against them. This is not an Apache fight. As Nosy puts it, It's a fight for religion. Because once the United States wins this court case, then it's the precedence that is set across this country. That's why the Apache Stronghold is now soliciting help from other religious groups. Angela Wu Howard traveled to Oak Flat as a senior law fellow at the Beckett Institute. It's an academic project for the nonprofit Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. That D.C.-based law firm represents Apache Stronghold in their ongoing legal battle. If we lost in the Ninth Circuit, we would have to appeal to the Supreme Court. She asked faith leaders to back them by filing amicus briefs should the Supreme Court one day take up their case. And the more diverse the voice, really the better. For now, the fate of Oak Flat remains uncertain. But this rising group of religious activists, together with the Apache stronghold, are turning to the power of prayer and song. I'm Gabriel Pietrazio, reporting from Oak Flat. Communities throughout the country are feeling the crush of polarizing politics. 
whether it's in a local forum or a family dinner. Martine Carcasson is a professor at Colorado State University's Communications Studies Department. He specializes in community building through problem solving and conversations. Hattison Runsbury, with our partners at KDNK, spoke with Carcasson to learn more about how polarized communities can problem solve through finding common ground. What's a tool that people can use when going into a situation that might be polarizing that they can use to evaluate this situation and get better results, maybe with someone who they don't necessarily think they would agree with? I think the primary thing going into those kind of situations, once you understand how your brain works and how their brain's working, right, that you realize that if your goal of a, a conversation with someone that you know you disagree with is really to try to win them over, to convert them, to convince them that they're wrong, you're rarely going to reach that goal, right? A lot of the strategies that you think would work of, you know, showing them evidence and examples and so forth are probably going to backfire. So my primary advice in those situations, instead of going in with the goal of winning, go in with the goal of learning, of learning a little bit more about their perspective, of figuring out where they're kind of coming from, filling in blanks in your perspective. Our brains are really good at seeing the upside of our perspective and the downside of the opposing perspective. So we have kind of two big blank spots in terms of the downside of ours and the upside of theirs. So go into that conversation with the goal of learning and and kind of filling in some of those blanks. And then long term, the impact that it has is when you take someone seriously, when you ask them good questions, when you really want to learn, it actually sets up the possibility later of potentially changing their mind, right? Both in terms of understanding really what they believe in, so it gives you more to work with, but also setting up more of a trusting relationship that if you listen to them, they're much more likely to listen to you and you start switching kind of from this adversarial environment where our brains aren't working to a much kind of better place. Currently in our valley, there's a lot of people who are going to bat for issues that they're really passionate about. Have you seen these sort of strategies work in communities where there is a lot of passion and a lot of emotional charge in these issues, have you found that people can find ways to make some productive progress that that serves a wider range of people? Yeah, I think so. When you bring people together in particular ways, you know, there's a lot of bells and whistles involved in terms of having small groups and how we frame the issue and having some ground rules and having a facilitator. So when people are really emotional, we don't see emotion as a bad thing, right? We see emotion often as fuel. Emotion is something that can turn into something very productive in terms of finding ways to change society. So we just have to kind of design these processes that we could hopefully redirect that emotion in a more positive way. When people are often kind of get emotional and overly emotional, which can be problematic, is when they don't feel that they're being heard, that, that they don't feel that they have a a, a right to kind of talk. So when, when it's clear that people are listening to you and, and clear that people are, are, are taking you seriously, we often see you know, the more positive side of emotion. Um, have conversations with people that might think differently than you. You know, ask them kind of what you're missing here, what, what, what their reasons for it, and not asking them so you can refute them or attack them, right? But, you know, going to that conversation with a goal of learning versus a goal of winning. So that just kind of allows you to check your priors, right? <laughs> allows you to kind of make sure that, that your decision isn't just kind of based on, uh, you know, the, the, the assumptions you made kind of early in the process, uh, and you can make a better decision overall. Sure. Yeah. The same way that like a journalist would go into a conversation with an interviewee and make sure that it's in good faith. Unfortunately, our brains are much more wired for outrage and and polarization. And we want kind of simple stories. But we also realize that once we get that, once we know that our brains are wired 
in that way, it's easier for us to control that. And it's easier for us to kind of develop norms to, to avoid that. So that's what we're trying to do as we understand the social psychology and brain science. How do we kind of work with our community to, to take a lot of the power away from that? Because unfortunately, there are other actors out there that are taking advantage of that, right? That are, that are selling us the simple stories that are the outrage industrial complex and these conflict entrepreneurs that try to take advantage of human nature and profit off making us angry. Uh, so what we're trying to do, what I see the role of journalists and certainly in my role as a delivered practitioner and a facilitator is to do the opposite, is to, to use our knowledge of social psychology to avoid triggering that and actually tap in uh, to, to better parts of our brain. Would you say that those conflict entrepreneurs exist on both sides of most issues that you've seen? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and certainly they're, they're much more powerful than national politics and, you know, some kind of partisan media and so forth. Luckily, lo you know, local communities don't, don't have as many of them, but, but sometimes on certain issues, you, you would have that, right? But it's part of it is part of a two party system where all the incentives are just to win, right? So that starts justifying strategies that that certainly work in the short term to win elections. It just also at the same time happens to undermine our ability to work together to address our shared problems better. That's Martine Carcasson speaking with Katie and Kay's Haddison Rensbury. Carcasson is a regional professor who specializes in community building through problem solving and conversations. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, December 6th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>